Hi, Stephen McCormick here for Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. And why are you hearing my voice instead of Richard Tubbs? Well, Richard is the guest for our very special 125th episode, and I'm the one going to be asking him the questions. So hello to you, Richard. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Stephen. That feels really weird to say, but thanks for having me. Yeah, <laughs> I bet it does, yeah. Now, Richard, as well as being the host of Tub Talk, uh, you're an author, you're a speaker in the channel, um, and you're also a former MSP owner. Um, and in fact, you'd probably call that your origin, wouldn't you? So, um, And that's what we're here to talk to you about today. So um, first of all, then, why don't you tell me... Um, your origins in IT. Um, how did you how did you start out? How did you move from being an employee in a company to to starting your own business? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, um, I've always been into IT uh, from uh, from a little kid, and uh, my background was actually in corporate IT. So I used to work for the likes of Ernst and Young and uh, GE Capital, uh, the NHS uh, for a time, and um, yeah, great experience when I was uh, younger because uh, it's actually something I took forward to the managed services because it taught me the the idea of scalability and standardization and systems and processes. But perhaps I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. So I worked there and then um, uh, what happened after a little period of time after being in corporate IT was a lot of the people who worked in uh, the corporations and that went off, started their own businesses, picked up the phone to me, Steve, and said like, can you do some like moonlighting? Can you come and do a bit of work for us setting up our IT? I was like, yeah. And before I knew it, that you know that was becoming a full time gig. So I started working for myself as a jobbing IT guy, you know, crawling under tables, plugging in Ethernet cables and and, and things of that nature. That went on for um, I'm going to say that was probably about 2000, 2001. And um, so I was your one-man band uh, IT uh, or one-person band IT uh, <laughs> company for a few years. And then I came across this concept of managed services, which is fairly commonplace now. Um, and I read a book, The E-Myth, revisited by Michael Gerber, and I started discovering the work of Carl Palachuk and uh, Eric Simpson and, uh, you know, all these uh, uh, wonderful people who invented managed services, really. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to own a job anymore. I want to own a business, if that makes sense. So Absolutely. I, yeah, I, I got into that, and that's probably about 2004, 2005. Uh, really threw myself into it. Uh, you know, was hoovering up every piece of information out there. And I should say, you know, fast forward to today, there's loads of info available. Uh, back then, not so much. There was uh, the odd books and things, but uh, lots of people were very open and sharing with me. And uh, yeah, so I built the IT business, uh, very big on systems processes. From day one, uh, I, I thought I want to eliminate myself from the business so the business can run without me. And that proved you know, to be the right decision because um, it was about 2011, 2012, forget the exact time, I, I sold, you know, grown the business. Uh, it could run without me and I sold the business. I was going to say, actually, yeah. so um, what made you um, come to that decision then what made you uh decide to sell up uh, what was the factor that pushed you over, over the edge so to speak yeah well it was it was an interesting like a very personal situation but i'm, I'm happy to share so 
whilst I was growing the MSP business and, and basically learning about managed services, I used to do a lot of uh, attending of user groups, speaking at peer groups, and uh, writing blog posts. I was like one of the earliest bloggers, uh, and I think you know people mostly know me for that now. But I look back, and there were some really embarrassing blogs because I was finding my way, you know, in the industry. Um, but the interesting thing was, a lot of my competitors at the time thought that was crazy for sharing this information with other people. Yeah. I've actually, people said to me, why are you giving away all the secret sauce? I was like, well, there's no secret sauce. You know, I've learned this from other people. Anyway, so I was blogging. I got well known in the managed services uh, industry, but as a, as a peer. Uh, and then, a, you know, a, a big life event happened. Um, you know, I know you understand about this. Um, my, my dad passed away. You of know, course, he, yeah. was, um, he was 82 years of age. So he'd had like a good innings. Mm-hmm. It was... Obviously, it came as a shock, but it wasn't unexpected. And, um, yeah, that was just a, a, a turning point. I remember being at uh, my dad's funeral, and there was people coming along there who had been, you know, they'd not spoken to him in maybe 20, 30 years. And they came along to the funeral and were coming up to me and introducing themselves and saying, look, your dad wouldn't remember this, but he did this for me 30 years ago. He did this, you know, and my dad was an old-school gentleman and, you know, treated everybody, you know, really well and everything. And it was, I don't want to say a revelation, but I I thought, well, this is what legacy means. This is what I I want people to speak about me like this when I'm, you know, gone. And hopefully I've got a while to go yet, but when I'm gone. um, Am I going to achieve that running the managed service business or am I going to achieve more impact helping other MSPs? Because lots of MSPs were asking me for help at this point, even though I was a competitor. So I was very fortunate. I built the business so that, you know, it could run without me. So I made the decision to sell the business. Absolutely. Now, you have mentioned some great things there, which we will touch upon. Um, Particularly, um, you you did write a blog article about your father's um, passing and what legacy means to you so we'll make sure that that's in the show notes but i wanted to touch back to now you're you i said that you were an author and you you wrote a book called um the it business owners survival guide um what was it that inspired you to 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 write that book yeah so after I sold the IT business, I started uh, going in and doing consulting and advisory work, helping other managed service providers. Uh, obviously, the blog continued. We've added the podcast and all sorts yeah. of things. Been going many, many years, uh, and it reached a point where there was so many people getting in touch asking for advice, and some of them, MSP owners, were were drowning. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, metaphorically, you know, they were drowning underneath the, the demands, the pressures, and they were reaching out to me. And I try, I, I do respond to every email that I get, and I get in touch with everybody. But it, it occurred to me, you know, there's for every one person who gets in touch and asks my advice about, you know, um, uh, keeping the head, head above water, there's probably going to be another hundred who were feeling the same way, but perhaps, you know, uh, uh, wouldn't reach out to me. So that's where the book came from. I mean, I often say that my my role in the industry now is helping 
other IT business owners to avoid all of the mistakes that I made. And of course, I made a load of mistakes. So there's like an infinite source of content. But the IT business owner survivor guide was really focused on what I found with hindsight, looking back with the key mistakes that I made, you know, not getting enough sleep and running myself ragged, not taking holidays, not delegating effectively, not outsourcing and, you know, things of that nature. So that book was written as a way for anybody to benefit from the mistakes that I made and hopefully avoid them because, you know, I want people to enjoy working in managed services. And I think most people get into this industry because they enjoy helping other people, but they often don't help themselves, uh, you know, and find themselves uh, draining. So that's where the book came from. Absolutely, yes. So um, I'm going to pitch a question to you now then. So um, we've talked about, um, about where you've come from. Let's say you were going to start an MSP in 2023, um, what do you think are the top trends that um, are happening in in the year ahead? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do they compare to the trends that were occurring at the time that you were starting out? That's a- What's changed? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I ran the IT business for, what, eight, ten years before I sold it, uh, and I've been doing what I do now for 12 years. So it's been 12 years since I sold the uh, the MSP business. Um, uh, so the times were, I'm not going to say very different, but some of it was uh, different. So uh, I was one of the first advocates of what is now known as cloud computing. And I remember my peers laughing at me saying, we're not going to get rid of servers. And fast forward, like we don't have <laughs> servers and things. Or maybe we will again now with the energy crisis. But in answer to your question, if I was to start an MSP in 2023, uh, you know, I think what what would look different? Well, cybersecurity would be top of that list. If I rewind you know, to when I was running an MSP, uh, cybersecurity was really like antivirus, a decent firewall, things of that nature. Fast forward to today, cybersecurity is mind-boggling because the bad guys have got, you know, the the cyber criminals, they are so sophisticated. And like for MSPs running the business today, I actually would go as far as to to say it might be too much for an MSP alone to handle, you know, some client's cybersecurity. And that's not diminishing the MSP's role, but what I mean is I would probably work with a third party to provide, you know, security consultancy, security, uh, perhaps even a security operations centre, things of that nature. So cybersecurity would be the first thing I would say. And the other thing which is we're just starting to see in 2023, I've been sort of banging the drum about this for, for a while now, artificial intelligence. You know, most people think of AI and they think, oh, the Terminator and all that stuff, <laughs> it, you know. It's not like that. But what I really mean with AI for managed service providers is actually automation. You know, and those MSPs who grab hold of automation are going to do things faster, better, cheaper than the competition. And those MSPs that don't pay attention, don't really get themselves involved in artificial intelligence, machine learning, automation, are suddenly going to find that you know, they're doing things a lot slower than the competitors. There's some brilliant companies out there. You know, uh, one of the a company that I do advisory work with, SuperOps, uh, have got so much automation built into their RMM and PSA platform that I look back now and go, why was why were me and my engineers messing around with, you know, pushing tickets around and doing this, that, and the other when it really should have been working for us? So cybersecurity and uh, automation slash AI, I would say the two big things that if I was 
to be brand new to the industry in 2023, that's where I place my focus. There is a saying, though, isn't there, that if you don't like doing doing something, automate it or outsource it, which leads me quite well on to my next question now. So you've always been a big advocate um, for outsourcing. Um, if there's a tip that you could give to a new MSP um, or anyone that, that wants to kind of go down that route that maybe hasn't gone down that route before, um, what would you advise would be the maybe the first or first two or three things they should look to outsource? Yeah. So I'll address the, the subject of outsourcing first of all. It's a bit of a soapbox topic. We work yeah. together. You know that for me. <laughs> Definitely. You know, so many managed service providers uh, are essentially going to their clients and saying, hey, don't worry about the IT. You focus on what you do best, look after your business, growing your business, and outsource the running of the managed services, the IT, to us. Makes total sense, and that is one of the fundamentals of managed services. And yet, so many MSPs are reluctant to outsource any of their services. So back when I ran my MSP business, you know, we were one of the first in, I was going to say in Europe, actually, uh, uh, certainly the UK, uh, to outsource our NOC, our network operations center. You know, you've worked as an engineer in the IT industry, uh, you're good at it. Uh, I'm restarting backups and patching server. This is not the sort of stuff that gets you out of bed in the morning, no, is it? No, Yet, not at all. It's the bread and butter for, for the client work uh, that we do. But we embraced uh, uh, an outsourced IT service for the for the NOC, uh, and um, we didn't outsource the help desk at the time, although that's you know certainly possible. But you know, fast forward to today, and if your engineers are spending an inordinate amount of time on, I'm going to say low value, you know, but high uh, amount of time uh, taking activities such as patching and all of those things, outsourcing is a, a you know perfect fit for them i'd go further than that as well i'd say outsourcing is a perfect fit for things like hr so you don't want to be you know you've got to manage people but you don't want to be looking after the hr function yeah. most of us got into this industry because we don't want to be accountants so you no. need to know basic bookkeeping but you outsource your accounts to a good accountant and as i said earlier on you know outsourcing the security operation center might be a great way to go forward as well so outsourcing i'm really shocked that more Outsourcing IT companies don't outsource more. In, in answer to your question, where would you start? Well, if you're a bit nervous about it, the knock is a brilliant way to get started. So the patching, the you know the uh, server reboots, uh, updates, uh, backups, and, and things of that nature. You know, I work with a client, uh, Uptime Solutions, uh, Jason Kemsley and Brad Monday, UK-based uh, uh, service. They offer, you know, outsource NOC, outsource SOC, outsource help desk. They've got clients all across the UK. They've got offices in the US, New Zealand, so they can offer 24-7 coverage. And, you know, going back to your earlier question, if I was to start an MSP again today, I would absolutely outsource that stuff that's not a lot of fun, but it's absolutely necessary to free up my engineer's time to go and do the high-value work that the clients really, truly notice. And then you can, you know, that's the first step that you can take. But nowadays, outsourced help desks, outsourced SOC, you know, um, outsourced web design, outsourced accountancy, outsourced HR. There's a plethora of services out there. And in fact, I've built my business now. I know it's not a managed service provider anymore. We're more of a media company. But every single one uh, of the people who work with me 
are virtual assistants. <laughs> you know, they work for themselves. Uh, they uh, work in different parts of the world in different time zones. Really doesn't matter because the tools are there now to work with a remote team that's anywhere. So I'd encourage any MSP, look into outsourcing. And if you're nervous, start with the knock because the clients don't see the benefit of that, but they sure as heck get annoyed if those sort of things don't work properly. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now we're going to go back again to something that's um, something that, that you that you do advocate talking about um, a, a lot. And uh, I want to know a bit more about how you first came into your uh, mental health journey and um, mm. at what point did you um, realise that uh, you were, that when you were working your MSP that you were under a lot of, lot of strain and um, what did you do about it? I just think this, this will be very helpful for anybody that might be feeling any, any kind of pressure at the, at the moment. Yeah, thanks for, for asking about that. I mean, I've, I've, it's taken me a while to get to this stage, but uh, and I, over the years I've dropped what I would say breadcrumbs about my mental health challenges. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, the world has reached a point now where I think people are, if not comfortable, are much more open to talking about these uh, sort of challenges. So, you know, I'll be open yeah. and honest and say, you know, I've um, battled with clinical depression um, I was diagnosed with that in my uh, early to mid twenties. Clinical depression is a, you know, an imbalance of chemicals in the in the the, the brain. So if I don't look after uh, stress levels, if I don't look after my health and my physical health, and things don't get enough sleep, and that that can lead to you know catastrophic uh, consequences. But I've talked more openly um, about that now. Um, uh, I'll give a, an example. I was um, you were I know you were in the audience. I was uh, delivering a presentation or. or um, uh, having a conversation at an event in London, IT event. There was 100 plus MSPs in the audience and I talked openly about depression, mental health. And um, I said, you know, statistically, uh, one in four of us are, are going to hit mental health challenges. Yeah. It might even be higher than that now, I think. But what that meant was the audience, I said, you know, and, and the audience was mostly blokes. You know, the IT industry, very, course, you know, yeah. sort of a, a, a male-focused industry, and that's changing. Maybe we'll get onto that. But I said that what that means is in the audience today, 25 of you here are either going to be struggling, statistically, 25 of you are going to be struggling with mental health challenges or really in a bad place at the moment. And I've been in a really bad place with it, you know. And um, I, I was, you know, I could get emotional talking about this, but I was actually... Uh, really encouraged then throughout that day four different gentlemen four different chaps came up to me and said uh, firstly I'd, I'd got no idea about you and you're like you're so bubbly and you know all these sort of things I'm like yeah you can mask it really well and secondly you know uh, I'm really struggling at the moment and so I got the opportunity to talk with them and uh, and since then since I've been open about it you know we've got Web, we've got a page on the website with mental health resources um, for MSPs. You know, I've uh, written in magazines and spoken about this. But I think for for anybody watching or listening to this, you know, with mental health challenges, first of all, don't be ashamed of it because everybody gets affected by it or everybody knows somebody. And secondly, don't try and do this on your own. And that's something perhaps I did for, for too long just to try and battle through it, try and uh, force my way through it. And that's not the way it works. And um, yeah, seek out help. And again, I I'll say this numerous times, but this managed service industry, 
the best industry in the world. People are so supportive, so open. Uh, and, you know, from that perspective, don't be afraid about talking about it. And I think attitudes are changing, uh, thankfully. Definitely, yes. So um, you brought up the community there, and that's actually what I want to discuss with, with you next. Um, so I've, I've been in the channel for a, a year now myself, and the MSP community um, is wonderful in that respect. Everyone's so engaging and they are open to d discussions. What does, what does the MSP community mean to you then, Richard? Uh, it, it's it's wonderful, and I think it's a unique um, community as a whole ecosystem. There, the channel, as we call it. I speak to friends, and I know we've we've had conversations. You're fairly new to the channel; I've been doing this like twenty plus years or whatever. And I speak to people, and I say, oh, we get in a room with our competitors, and we talk about what we're earning and what's working and what's not working. And they look and go, "What are you crazy? We've got friends that work in insurance, finance, uh, real estate, all of those things," and they're like, "We would never." do that, you know, uh, with uh, our so-called competitors. And yet the MSP industry, that's the bread and butter for this industry. There are way, way more people, the majority of people will share openly and honestly uh, to help others um, uh, than those will hoard all the information, keep to themselves. You know, that old adage that a rising tide lifts all boats, I think that's absolutely true uh, for this industry. And there's way more than enough customers, clients for all of us. So, you know, for anybody watching or listening to this and going, what? What were your competitors? This sounds crazy. It, it really isn't. And I would rewind and say, you know, there was a number of factors in me, you know, accelerating the growth of my MSP business and, and selling it and, you know, going on to enjoy what I do doing now. The community was way up at the top there. So when I was starting out, unusually for me, I kept my mouth closed <laughs> and kept my ears open. And some of the smartest, most successful people in this industry gave freely of their time and advice to me. And, you know, so I see part of what I'm doing now of, of passing that forward. But, you know, some of the communities that are out there are incredible. You know, I'll, I'll reel off some of the names. So CompTIA. Uh, if, if people are not familiar with CompTIA, they may be familiar with it for the certifications, the yeah. A+, plus, the Network+, plus, those sort of things. But CompTIA have also, they're a not-for-profit organisation. They do a lot of advocacy on part of the IT industry. And um, they've got managed services communities. Um, <laughs> I have to joke. So I was the chairman of the CompTIA UK technology community, of the very first chairman, the inaugural chairman. There was 20 of us in a room in the first event in Birmingham. And you've been to the, the more recent CompTIA events, and there's 100, 200, 500 there people loads, at the Lunda events. Yeah. So I often say, you know, uh, we got CompTIA started, and as soon as I stepped down as chairman, that community really flourished. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> uh, but at CompTIA, they do quarterly meetings in, you know, the UK, Benelux, and other, other places, as well as in the US. So seek them out. Uh, other communities that are just wonderful, uh, the Tech Tribe. Mm. Uh, aren't the, the, the most awesome online community. And now, you know, we've, we've got uh, uh, local Tetri meetups here in the UK, Europe and the United States and that. And of course, you know, I was I was part of that business up until, you know, last year. And um, I, I, the only reason I stepped away from that business, I was actually neglecting my own 
you know, business yeah. and, you know, I want to write more books, I want to get more stuff out there. Uh, but, you know, we, we did great work. Nigel Moore, the founder of the, uh, the Tech Tribe, um, you know, I worked with, Nigel approached me after reading books and my blogs years ago. Uh, and when he sold his MSP business, approached me and said, can you take a look at this community? And honestly, I'll say to this day, the Tech Tribe, and as I said to Nigel at the time, if I was to build a community, which I'm not, it's a lot of hard work. No chance I would ever get involved there. Uh, you know, in building a community. If I were to build a community though, it would look exactly like the Tech Tribe, you know, wonderful, wonderful community. And then there's other, I could, we could talk about this all day, uh, Steve, but there's other communities okay. like Network Group, and in America there's uh, ASCII, there's uh, local groups, uh, Feet on the Ground. The point is, there is so many, so many people out there who are willing to help. Uh, so running an IT business can be a lonely gig yeah. Really, really lonely. We talked about mental health a little bit earlier, and that's one of the worst things that you can do is try and do it on your own. Um, you know, fast forward to today, and thankfully there are hundreds of groups uh, and communities, peer groups, and then we've not even talked about, you know, working with coaches and other things of that nature. Some some amazing people out there now. So yeah. I'm sort of jealous. If I was to run an MSP today, <laughs> there's so much information and things out there. So, I, yeah. I was going to say then. So there was there there weren't that many communities out there when, when you first started out as an MSP. So who were the people that you sought out and uh, and and what what kind of advice did you actually get back? Were they were they quite reasonable to actually um, talk to? Yeah, absolutely. To in, 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 one thing I've I've always found surprising to this day is that the most successful, and I don't just mean successful in terms of finances, I mean in terms of how they've built the life, how they've built their business. The most successful people in the world I found to be the most accessible people. I've spoken to millionaires, I've spoken to billionaires, I've spoken to people who've got life, worth, life, like, life work balance sorted, <laughs> easy for me to say, but I just approach them and they are that they'll share their advice. I'll give a shout out to one of the communities I was involved in when I ran my MSP business. At the time, it was called HG, HTG, Heartlands Technology Group. It's now known as Connectwise uh, Evolve. And um, wonderful community. We, I was the founder member of HTG 11, which was the first UK group. There was me and a guy called uh, Raja, uh, Raja Pagadala, who still runs an MSP, The Final Step, interviewed him recently, wonderful friend. But there was 12 of us got together in the room and we shared financials, we held each other accountable, we asked hard questions, we talked about staffing issues. That was super powerful for me. I was the smallest, in terms of revenue, MSP in the room. But I still felt like I had a place at the table because I could contribute, I was nimble. And uh, again, wonderful community, uh, Raja. Arlen Sorensen was the founder of HDG. Um, which is now owned by uh, Connectwise, and Arlen was such a great mentor to me. He ran uh, an MSP based out in the um, it, the rural area of uh, the United States, and uh, and built it into I think it was a fifty million dollar business there. You know, I, I don't know how he did that. With, <laughs> they obviously need a lot of IT and agriculture. Um, but Arlen was uh, fantastic. The guys at HDG and my peer group, uh, James Cash and um, Malcolm Dyack and Raja Bagadala, a wonderful community, but so many other people that helped me along the way. So I mentioned he's now turned into a great friend uh, of mine, but he was, it still is, my tech hero, uh, Carl Palachuk, mm. who was 
one of the architects, I'll say, of managed services. This is the guy who really created the concept of managed services. And, um, you know, uh, Carl and I see each other at least once, twice a year now, get together in person. He comes on holiday or whatever. Uh, we, we did a road trip last year around uh, Edinburgh and Falkirk and Glasgow and yeah. Manchester. Just, <laughs> you know, it, it, the guy's turned into a really good friend to, to, to me and my wife, but such an incredible mentor. Again, wrote blogs, uh, spoke, wrote books. So Carl's got 20-odd books out there about managed services. Incredible. And then other people uh, that some listeners not, might not be aware of. So uh, Eric Simpson, who mm. I got the opportunity recently to sit in a studio and interview just a great hero of mine and just a wonderful person. And Eric wrote all of these books that I consumed that taught me about managed services. And then we've got Harry Brailsford, who ran SMB Nation. Uh, and, you know, I've become friends with uh, Harry and learned. So, again, you know, probably way too many people to mention. But these are people that I consider wildly successful in all aspects of their life and so accessible. You just pick up the phone to them, drop them an email, walk up to them at events and talk to them, and they'll, they'll tell you what, what you need to know, whether it's what you want to hear or what you don't want to hear <laughs> and that. So just a wonderful community full of some incredible people. That is perfect. And, um, you know, I think uh, I just want to say that all of the names that we have we have mentioned, they will appear in the show notes as per normal. So um, you, you don't have to worry about um, finding them all. They will They will all appear at the bottom. So uh, I just want to talk to you about um, other authors that have inspired you now. Um, so you you were always um, recommending books. You're a big reader and um, there's always a nugget that you can share with us, which, uh, which is from s- someone who's written a book that has inspired you or has... Or has, or has taught you something. So, is is there any that you that you're reading currently, or any that you would say definitely read if if you haven't read because they they are so inspiring. Oh, so many books, and I don't want to you know endanger if you could, overwhelming yeah. Goodrun <laughs> who does our podcast show notes, and she'd have to list like a million books or whatever. But so if I the, the three that really impacted me, I've sort of skirted around one of them already. So the book that really changed uh, my life professionally was The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Um, uh, and for anybody, you know, listening, watching this, not familiar with The E-Myth Revisited, uh, it's, I call it the Bible for managed services. So it's nothing at all to do with managed services, but it's everything to do with managed services. Mm. It's about systemizing, automating a business, building processes and that. Just wonderful, wonderful book. And I still reread that every couple of years to remind myself, oh, I should be delegating or outsourcing or systemizing uh, this sort of thing. So the E-Myth Revisited, number one book that I would recommend. And then there's two other books that I'll throw out there that were really life-changing uh, uh, for me, in not necessarily just in managed services, but from a business owner, personal development. The second one for me was, you know, I'm a productivity nerd. Yeah. We talk about it. It's like, but I wasn't always that way. In fact, I would go as far as I'm the world's biggest procrastinator. I'm disorganized. <laughs> and that was costing me time and money when I was running the MSP business until I read a book called Getting Things Done uh, by an author called David Allen. And GTD, as it's known, you know, in productivity circles is a whole methodology. And it's uh, about becoming productive, about clearing your head out, putting things down into systems rather than trying to... Because, you know, David Allen said this, and I often get 
quoted in the MSP industry, but it's David Allen's quote. And to paraphrase it, he says, like, the mind is great for generating ideas, but not so much for carrying them around. So I read GTD by David Allen, and I've, you know, again, we talked about how accessible these people are. Um, you know, David and his wife Catherine live in uh, Amsterdam over in uh, the Netherlands now. And so my wife and I have got to spend some time with them and yeah, just an incredible guy. But if you're struggling with productivity, procrastination, getting things in order, uh, GTD, getting things done, wonderful book. And the third one I'd throw out there, which might be a bit of a curveball for, for some people, um, but it really, you know, sort of changed my life, is a book called The Go-Giver. Mm-hmm. Uh, by uh, John David Mann and Bob Berg. And again, Bob, Mer- Bob Berg, I don't sound like I'm name dropping. You know, I was only exchanging emails with him this morning. He's, you know, he's become um, somebody very influential uh, on me, very accessible, somebody I can reach out to at any point. And The Go-Giver, I don't want to spoil the story for, any, for, for anybody who's not read The Go-Giver, but The Go-Giver is like a parable. Uh, you know, sort of a business story. Uh, and it'll take you less than an hour uh, mm-hmm. to read. Um, and it's about, we're all familiar with go-getters, these people, you know, they're always hustling. Uh, don't like that word, but always <laughs> hustling, trying to get things done. Go-givers, w- what does it look like if we put other other people's needs and, you know, demonstrate value to them, put them first, focus on over-delivering on value? Um, and some people say, well, you, you don't want to be a pushover. It's not like that. I'd encourage you to read The Go-Giver. But yeah. I was, I, I think I'm, predisposed, I'm hardwired to be a go-giver. I know that that might sound arrogant, I don't mean it to be, but you know, I'm, I'm always trying to elevate other people, trying to help, and that's, I think, what most people in the MSP industry do. They want to help people, that's why they get into this industry. But the go-giver created this set of rules to, to really help you be more intentional yeah. about how you're giving uh, to other people. And so, yeah, those are the three books that that really changed my life. And I, I don't use that that word, that sentence, you know, lightly. They were life-changing for me. And The Go-Giver, you know, I, I gift that book all the time to people. So I say, hey, you read The Go-Giver? Nope. Right, I'll send you a copy of the book or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those ones that I, I really, you can tell some people get it, other people don't get it. The ones who get it are just, I think, wonderful people to hang around with, and that's the majority of the MSP community. Excellent. That is, I mean, that just in the, in, in a nutshell covers the community, really, doesn't it? So yeah. that's great. Um, I'm going to change tack a bit here now and um, focus on operations. So um, I, I don't mean operations in a hospital, um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to, first of all, talk about, um, about sales. So... Um, uh, when you were starting out as an as an MSP, how did you tackle your sales process? Was it something that came organically natural, or was it like it is for for most MSPs that I talk to a, a bit of a chore to to begin with? Sales. Oh wow! <laughs> I know. So I'll give you some time. I'm oh, sorry. So, <laughs> when I when I started out in the MSP industry, and we talked about being a go-giver. So you would have thought this comes naturally, you know, mm-hmm. they say. It, no, it didn't work. So I, like so many people, get hung up with the stereotype of sales. And, and sales that I think most people think is you've got to persuade somebody to buy what you're selling. 
Yeah. And I've learned differently with the, the go-giver and, and things of that nature now. The go-giver taught me, you know, my attitude towards sales changed when I realised, actually, uh, I just want to go in and help that person. And if I can help them, great. If I can't help them, uh, somebody else will help them. Really changed it. But rewind, you know, I was my sales process was non-existent. I'd reinvent the wheel every time I went out to sit with a prospect. And uh, I got really nervous doing it. I'd sit down and thought, sales, to the point where I'd procrastinate and sort of avoid doing sales because it felt so awkward. And I know that's not unusual in the MSP industry. But I decided to grab the ball by the horns. I was like, you know, this is a big part of running a business. Um, How can I become comfortable doing this? So I did some um, training with uh, an organization called Sandler uh, Sales Institute. And joining the dots backwards, you know, it's a very go-giver type um, attitude. I should be on commission with Bob Berg, shouldn't I? The amount of times I said (laughs) go-giver. It's such an influence on me. But uh, Sandler Mm -hmm. Sales Institute was about, other people might call it consultative selling. So that's not going in to do a hard sell. It's going in to listen, to ask pertinent questions, to listen, and then see if you can provide a solution uh, uh, to people. And when I did that, that really transformed the way I saw sales. Uh, you know, as instead of trying to persuade people, it was just trying to go in and help people. And yeah. again, you know, I don't want to be overly repetitive about this, but I truly think that most people get into managed services because they enjoy helping people. So if people can change their attitude from sales, it's like, oh, icky, slimy, persuading Mm. people, dirty tricks and all that. It isn't like that. Mm. Just, you know, go in. But something you said about a system, super, super important. You know, Sandler Sales Institute taught me this system of, you know, uh, doing things that was I could repeat. It was, uh, you know, uh, sustainable. I could do it again and again without having to reinvent the wheel. But if we fast forward to the modern day, uh, and again, you know, a company that I really rate highly is a company called Zementum, um, which is um, most people think of them as being um, a quoting tool. It's way more than that. It's a sales system. It's, uh, you know, a revenue platform for MSPs and that. And this is not an advert for Zementum. It's just... Wow, the tools that are available now that really help an MSP to follow a logical uh, sales system and to do that well, super, super powerful. So if you've not you know, uh, looked at Zementum before, take a look. But hopefully that explains my sales journey. And for anybody watching this who feels sales is a bit icky or whatever, look into The Go-Giver, look into – there's a book called Selling Sandler – Sorry, uh, selling technology the Sandler way, yeah. which like the Sandler Sales Institute is a very big investment of time and money. But that book gives you the overview of it uh, and look into Zementum because you know it really uh, it systemizes the way that you should do sales. And so if you're feeling nervous about it, just follow the system that other smarter people than us have put together, and you'll get the results. Absolutely, right. On the subject of marketing, um, what techniques did you use when you were starting your your MSP and what techniques would you adopt to today in the same circum- circumstances? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so one of the first things that I would say to anybody listening or watching this, that, mm. that regardless of what marketing technique you use, do it consistently. 
So, so many MSPs, you know, that I come across, they say, our oh, marketing's not working. We're finding it hard to find new clients. And I say, what what are you tried? And they say, we've tried direct mail. We've tried cold calling. We've tried networking, et cetera, et cetera. And I say, look, you know, what are you doing at the moment? Oh, well, we've given up on all of them. So people tend to, I think, try something in isolation. And actually, marketing is a joined up approach. You know, uh, it, it isn't something that you want to be going, oh, we need new customers, we're going to start marketing. Something you're doing all of the time, basically. So, um, But in terms of the techniques that worked for me when I ran the MSP business, the, the one that I put at the top of the list, uh, and this is probably not the one that most MSPs are going to want to hear, is networking, meeting people you know, face-to-face, in person, getting out there at uh, events and mm. things of that nature. That worked really well for me because I think people, that old adage, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Well, they get to know, like, and trust you by getting out and meeting them and stuff. So I went to a lot of business networking events and uh, whilst I find it sort of terrifying, you know, to to walk into a room full of strangers, um, it's, uh, over time, it became much more natural uh, to me. The big thing about networking, I would say, going to business networking events, don't go out there to sell. That sounds a bit odd. You've asked me what marketing mm-hmm. techniques work, you know, to sell to new clients and things. But if you go to a networking event, we've all been at networking events where there's that networking bulldog or more than one of them where they're thrusting business cards into people's hands and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and it, it drives you a bit bananas because you don't want to do business with people like that, do you? What I think works a lot better is to build up connections with people, get you know, allow people to get to know you, and then the referrals uh, start to happen as a result of the relationship that you've built up with them. So networking worked really well for us, but all of the other things that I mentioned, you know, direct mail, we were a big fan of what we call, uh, and I think it was Robin Robbins who uh, coined the term lumpy mail. <laughs> so we used to send, you know, thing, and, and lumpy mail means, you know, doing a marketing uh, shot where perhaps back in the day we would send cassettes out to people and say, there's a free cassette for you. Now, we're not old enough that cassettes were still really valid. The point was, then on the letter, we'd say, what, you're no longer using cassettes? Then why are you using tape drives for your backup and things when there's online backup? Lumpy mail stood out from the rest. So that was something that worked uh, for us. But again, it's consistently, you've got to follow up that mail shot with telephone calls, with emails. Nowadays, you'd connect with people on LinkedIn uh, and, and so on and so forth. So... If I was to fast forward to today, I would use those techniques, but I would probably follow the advice of somebody like a, a Paul Green or an Andrew Moon who are LinkedIn experts and can help uh, MSPs really use social media well in a joined up approach. Uh, but using anything in isolation, you're only gonna get limited results. And if you don't do things consistently, you're not gonna see the results either. So yeah, that's marketing for me. Absolutely. Um... Right. Now, I spoke to an MSP who maybe doesn't know you as, as well as everyone else does, but he, he, he seemed to think of you um, more as a um, more, more as a business advisor. Mm. Um, would you still consider yourself a techie or would you consider yourself <laughs> now um, more, of a, more of a business cons- consultant that's um, a bit less involved in the nuts and bolts of technical work oh mate i I love that question because yeah so i'm a massive techie geek massive massive techie geek i started out in this industry like so many of us in the msp industry because i love helping people and because i love playing around with tech so that is still the case on a personal level for me my home is full of technology and things what i would say is you know i don't get involved uh, i don't talk about 
tech specifically to the MSPs that I speak to. And, and that's for a very good reason. Like, they're the experts in it and mm. tech moves on so fast. Who am I to be talking to people about Active Directory and about things of that nature? However, uh, I still understand the tech. So what I like to do is, you know, have conversations with people let them know I understand the tech, but really talk to them about how they can make money with the tech, you know? And I'm not one of these guys, it's just like, it's all about making money. Of course, there's more to life than that. But if you're running an IT business and you're really good with tech, but nobody knows about you, what is the point? Going back to marketing. And secondly, you know, if you're only good with tech, uh, when you're speaking to clients about purely about tech, you're gonna get pigeonholed as the IT guy. Mm-hmm. And you know nobody really wants that uh, because you've got to speak to business owners in terms they understand, which is like return on investment, which is uh, you know talking about the finances, uh, talking about how you're going to save them or make them money. So um, it's really interesting that some people get the perception that I'm not a techie because I'm a massive techie geek, but I only tend to talk about business and how to grow your business and things. I will say when I was running the MSP business, it's really easy to get comfortable with doing what you're comfortable at, which is techie stuff. So, you know, and and that was a a tipping point for me, uh, an inflection point when I realized I'm not gonna grow a business if I'm just doing techie stuff and being a senior technician all day. Um, So that when I started going down the path of learning sales, learning marketing, you know, building relationships with people, that type of thing, that was when the business started to take off. However, I still kept my hand in from a technical perspective and I guess this goes out to anybody you know listening or watching this who maybe gets frustrated with their team who don't want to do training they don't want to do a certification oh yeah I don't need my MCSE or my MCP or MCSA and all those type of things I know all of that stuff why do I need a certification for it you've got to lead by example so back when I was running the MSP business I continued doing my certifications to a keep my hand in and to be to say to the team, look, I'm running the business and I'm still doing, you know, I'm still keeping my hand in doing the techie stuff. Then there was really no excuse from the engineers to say I'm too busy to do a certification. Yeah. Because those are the sort of things, although it's got limited value with customers, with clients, nobody says, oh, are you MCP or whatever. It, it's about proving that you're doing continuous learning and and, and, and keeping on that sort of cycle. Again, a bit like marketing, you've got to do it consistently. I think with learning, it isn't, oh right, I've learned everything, that's it. You've got to build a culture of continuous learning, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's just, um, I guess it's just a, a belt and braces a, approach to, to showing that you are competent at what you deliver. So I think, yeah. that's, I think that's very important. Now, Richard, I have, thrown the uh, questions out to the floor of your MSP peers and they've come back with some questions for you as well. So um, so I'm going to fire them at you now. So the first one is from Marston Thomas, of course, um, cyber security guru. uh, And he's got this question for you. What advice would you give to a young person wanting to start out in the same journey as you? And what would you not advise them to do? Ooh, great question. Thank you, Mostyn. If for somebody starting out in the MSP industry or even the IT industry as a whole, um, uh, the first thing I would say is, uh, going back to what we just talked about, continuous learning, mm. 
I would put time and energy into not only learning the technical skills and getting the certifications required. So I'd start out with like the CompTIA A+, Network+, sort of vendor neutral ones that give you a good uh, a ground in there. But I would be actively seeking out people in the industry to learn from as well. Yeah. Now, a lot of IT people, a lot of technical people, uh, you know, they prefer working with computers than human beings. I can totally understand that. But seeking out other people to learn from is powerful. Like when I was running my MSP business, uh, as I said earlier on, unusually for me, I kept my mouth shut and my ears open and learned from some of the most successful people in our industry. So for somebody starting out, perhaps if they're a good technician, just about, you know, they're thinking, right, I can turn this technology into, into value for clients. Brilliant, but you've got to become good at marketing. You've got to become comfortable with sales uh, as well. So, yeah. you know, the technical aspects will take you so far, but you've got to learn the other skills to go with it. Now, Mostyn said, what would I not what do? What would you not do? And I think it's probably the reverse of that advice, which is I wouldn't try and do it on my own. Yeah. You know, I absolutely wouldn't. I think MSPs think, believe that they've got to be a jack of all trades. That's not the case at all. So if I was running an MSP business now, if I was a young person, which I'm not anymore, I would surround myself with uh, people who can deliver services and solutions to my clients way better than I ever could. Uh, so there'd be a, a touch of outsourcing in there. Uh, I would build great relationships with vendors who have got really good solutions that they can offer. Uh, and I would also make sure that I get to peer groups uh, and things of that nature. So what I wouldn't do is to try and forge my own path, do it all on my own, because as unique as every MSP thinks they are, the reality is the problems that they come across, the hurdles that they need to overcome, somebody's been there and done that before yeah. and, and found the solution. And by getting involved in peer groups, peer communities, uh, going to conferences, getting involved online, reading books and things of that nature, you're gonna learn from other people. So please don't try and do it on your own. Yeah, definitely. Right, I've got a question for you from uh, Joshua Lieberman. Um, and he says, um, with the overload of dire security stories in popular press and the security or disaster fatigue um, that develops for both prospects and existing clientele, how do we break through and change the narrative of that? Ooh, what a wonderful question. Thank you, Joshua. Um, <laughs> And I hope to get together with Josh soon. He's, he's one of the, the the most interesting men in the MSP channel. I always say that about him. So uh, hope to see you at a conference soon. Great question. I would say I totally understand the idea of security fatigue. It's like, oh, the sky's falling in, and you know, um, MSPs, especially speaking to their clients, they're not, you know, they're not listening to us because historically SMBs believe that cybersecurity is something that affects big companies. It's not going to affect me. We're too small. Why would a cyber criminal be interested in us? The reality is the cyber criminal is not interested in anybody. They're interested in money. So I think you need to demonstrate to to cut through the noise would be to keep your eyes and ears open for issues, cybersecurity issues that affect client, uh, sorry, affect SMBs similar to your clients. So you need to cut through the noise by letting your clients realize that actually cyber criminals you know, they target anybody who's got money. You're not too small for them. But clients typically only really understand that if you come to them and say, did you hear about this company nearby yeah. that's just like you? They were, you know, they were breached and they ended up paying ransomware and these type of things. 
that cuts through the noise, I believe. So look for you know, issues in the maybe the local press, although you know, local press don't seem to cover cybersecurity for local businesses so much, but at business networking events and things of that nature, look for examples of where somebody has been breached. Uh, even if you, you, know, you find on the technical press or whatever, ZDNet or uh, um, uh, PC Pro, things of that nature, capture those stories and then reframe the stories in a way that makes them relevant to your clients to help them understand this is happening to people like you out there at the moment. You are not immune to it, and so we want to keep you safe. That, that's the way I would go about it nowadays. Excellent, yes. Right, now I've got a couple of questions from our friend James Steele. Um, uh, I'll start with his first one. Um, how does your typical week differ now as in what you do compared to what you used to do when you were running your MSP business? Ah, good question. And James is, by the way, James, you're killing it with the videos at the yeah, moment. They're really <laughs> great videos, James, <laughs> so, honestly. I am in awe of them. <laughs> so anybody listening to this and not checked out James Steele's videos, go and uh, check them out on his YouTube channel. So what does my typical week look like now compared to when I was running an MSP business? I think at the start of my MSP journey, the week was, my days, my hours were a lot more reactive mm. at the beginning. And I think most MSPs listening or watching uh, to this will appreciate that. They'll say, oh, we've got emails to deal with, we've got fires to put out at our client sites, et cetera, et cetera. The key to me growing the MSP business was to realize that if all I did was react to other people's emails, to other people's demands and that, I'd never get round to the things that are important to me. Yeah. And I mean like marketing, business development, personal development, the things of that nature. So once I stopped being reactive and being a bit more intentional about where my time was spent, that's when the MSP business grew. So I hope that makes sense, but fast forward to today and that's become a lifelong habit for me. So when I start my day, for instance, and we'll talk a little bit about some of my um, routines that I do, but one of the, the the biggest routine that I have is my phone is turned off, my smartphone that is, and it's in a different room. I don't wake up like so many people do, grab my phone, see who's text me, see who's emailed me, because what you're doing essentially then is letting other people dictate to you how your day is going to go. Yeah. Now, loads of MSPs I speak to say, well, I've just got to check my email first thing in the morning in case there's any emergencies. I'm like, if there's emergencies, they'll get in touch with you via another method rather than email, yeah. for, for one. And secondly, I don't know any MSP business who, if a client has emailed overnight, the client's not going to notice the difference if you respond to that at like 8 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. I'm not diminishing, you know, we're there to serve the clients, but... Uh, uh, typically, if you start your day reading your phone, looking at social media and things, it's going to drag you down a little bit for a start. Social media tends to do that, you know. Uh, and secondly, somebody else is going to dictate to you what you're going to do with your day. So in answer to James' question, you know, one of the, the routines that I do, the phone is switched off. I get up and uh, I uh, read a chapter of a book. I'm heavily into meditation. I know that might sound a little bit woo-woo, but again, we were talking about mental health earlier. Attitudes are changing. Yeah. You know, we've done 125 of these podcasts and I've interviewed some of the smartest people in our industry, and then I'm on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but nearly all of them, Steve, have said, yeah, they do some form of meditation. Another one was journaling. So I sit and write my journal every morning. You know, I write three things that I'm going to work on. Uh, that for that day, that if I achieve those three things, it would make for a brilliant day. I write down three things I'm grateful for. 
Uh, I write myself a little mantra, uh, those type of uh, things to set me up for the day. So this is the exact opposite of grabbing your phone and then going, right, what do I do today? I I'm very intentional yeah. about the day. And I've got to throw out as well, because James and I have had this conversation before, two other things that I do, uh, and I won't go deep into them. If people are interested, they can reach out to me. I do something, uh, my meditation I use, uh, I do meditation using the app Headspace, but I do it on something called a Shakti mat. A Shakti mat. <laughs> Shakti mat. You've got to tell us now, what is a Shakti so mat? So a Shakti mat looks a bit like a bed of nails, but it's made of plastic. <laughs> Bear with me on this one. So and the reason I bring it up is because uh, uh, James and I, I actually saw James in uh, last November. Uh, we were uh, on a road trip over in uh, Florida for the Acronis Summit and IT Nation. Anyway, I got my Shakti mat out and lay on it and James was really intrigued. He was like, what? <laughs> now, most people, you know, hearing that would be like, lying on a bed of nails and what, are you crazy? But it just has this really relaxing effect on, you know, I lie down on it so it's on my back. It just chills you out. And when you're meditating as well, it helps, gives you something to focus on, which is yeah. a problem a lot of people have with meditation. You know, the mind's racing and that. Uh, and I do sort of 20 minutes on that now, uh, meditation. And then, if people don't think I'm crazy enough, <laughs> the other thing that I do, especially if I'm feeling a bit tired, maybe not slept well or whatever, I go and do a, and this is something I've only started recently, I go and do a cold plunge. So I've oh, got- that's so interesting. I've got, so I've got like ice cold water and I've got it in the back garden. Uh, it's just like, I bought a cold plunge that looks a little bit like a mini hot tub. I bought it for 100, 200 pounds off of Amazon and I jump in the cold water. And I spend about three minutes in the cold water. Again, you know, that sounds a bit crazy, but it wakes you up like a foghorn. <laughs> and secondly, you know, it's hard to be sad or preoccupied or stressed or anything when you've got freezing cold water around you. So Shakti mat, cold water, uh, uh, plunge therapy, you know, I find those things, those are the habits that I've picked up over the years. Excellent. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but uh, yeah, I just want to go back to the fact that you, you've got a, a lot of these tips are actually in your book, the IT Business Owners Survival Guide. And yeah, yeah it's it's a good way of for any b business owner, really, that it's full of tips to help you manage your manage your personal headspace and all of that, isn't it? And to yeah. and to actually organise it. So that's really good. So this is the second one from J from James Still now, and he he asks, um, well, he says you've talked openly about being naturally introverted uh, but a large part of what you do um, is now uh, a public speaker a host an interviewer um, what advice would you give to anyone who wanted to step up to those kind of front facing roles who maybe are a bit introverted them themselves oh great question thank you James um, so the first thing I would clarify is I don't think I'm an introvert uh, I'm definitely extroverted, but uh, I am actually naturally a little bit shy. I might take people by surprise, you know, uh, but I said earlier on, we were talking about business networking. My idea of hell is walking into a room full of strangers and then having to use a lot of energy to walk up to people and say, hi, I'm Richard and all of that sort of thing. But in answer to James's question, what I've learned is that, you know, people feel, other people feel the same way. Yeah. So actually, you can be seen as a bit of a leader if you're the one that takes the initiative. So that's business networking. Now, sitting in front of a camera, as we're 
doing now you know you make it easy steve because you're the one asking the questions um uh, but when i'm doing the the interviewing or asking the questions or whatever i've got to think that it's not about me it's about making the other person feel comfortable and the same with moderating you know we yeah. do the the not an msp show keeping an eye on what the audience are asking as as well as you know keeping the the, the flow of the show going that's really important but it comes down to a practice so I learned this tip of my great friend Nigel Moore at the Tetri, the illustrious leader of the Tetri. Now, Nigel, like myself, uh, you know, is around, we prefer to be spending time around computers than people a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a sweeping generalisation, but perhaps Nigel would say that is true as well. And Nigel, you know, uh, gets in front of video, records these incredible pieces of content for the Tetri and, and so forth. The reason he, the way he got really good at doing that was by doing it again, again, and again. Now, coming back to something that keeps coming up in this conversation, consistency. Nigel used the opportunity, right, I need to get good at doing video yeah. uh, by consistent recording videos for people. So he uses an app called Bonjoro. Everybody who joins the Tech Tribe, so those of you who join the Tech Tribe will be used, to, you know, familiar with this. But Nigel will record a video welcoming you to the Tech Tribe, and that, and you know, there's five, six thousand members in the Tech Tribe. More by the time you listen to this, that's five, six thousand videos that Nigel's recorded. Yeah. When you're doing that consistently every single day, every single month, every single year you overcome the fears, you overcome the resistance to to being on camera and doing that. So I think, you know, I learned from Nigel, you know, I send video messages to people instead of emails and things of that nature. That's how I got more comfortable. And the second thing I'd say just about being on stage in front of, you know, instead of being uh, on camera, you know, similar but different, I realised really early on that, everybody in the audience was so relieved that I'm the one on stage rather than them. So that's the first thing. I realised that everybody in the audience, wherever I was, wanted me to succeed. Nobody's there like at a comedy club waiting for the comedian, the heckling or anything. Doesn't happen. And uh, so, and then I treat it, the whole audience, a little bit like I treat the camera, which is you have a conversation uh, with people as though I'm speaking to one person out there. So um, speaking, and I'll give you, throw one final thing out. If you if you started out on your speaking journey, the advice given to me by my, my great mentor and speaking coach, Alan Matthews, he said, Richard, if you get nervous going on stage, just remember, it's really rare for a speaker to be physically assaulted by a member of the audience. <laughs> rare, but not impossible. <laughs> that, that is implied, I'm sure. Um, brilliant. Well, I've got a question for you now from uh, from my friend Gareth Westwood. Um, and he's got a question. What was your first hire when you were officially an MSP? What um, what did you find that you needed to, to, um, to, to help you succeed what was your first um adventure in um hiring somebody i should do that again no worries. okay <clears throat> so i've got a question now from gareth westwood uh and he asks um what was your what was your first hire as an msp oh good question and, and gareth Thank you for all you do for the MSP industry. One of the most wonderful people He's runs, yeah. runs the Tech Tribe uh, Midlands group down there. Uh, thank you. So 
Gareth, uh, my first hire, well, I'll tell you what I did and then I'll tell you what conventional wisdom is. My first hire was actually an office manager. So it was admin. Um, so I hired a lovely lady called Sharon and she looked after um, all of the the post emails and things of that nature. She, she did a little bit of answering the phones and that, you know, to give me, to free up my time to concentrate on business growth activities, not just reacting all the time. Um, and then after that, I hired engineers and things, you know, to, to, to deal with the work as well as outsourcing. You know, you don't always have to hire, you can outsource, uh, which I keep banging on about, but it's so so <laughs> true and so relevant. So that is how I did it to free up my time, uh, Gareth. However, conventional wisdom says that uh, the, the phrase front office should drive back office. And what that means is you should be bringing the sales in before you hire people to deal with, uh, you know, administration and all those sort of things. Uh, it's a nice problem to have if you've got more work than you can cope with. And then you can deal with that problem by hiring, by outsourcing and so on and so forth. So that's the conventional wisdom. But again, going back to what I did, I still stand by that actually, because the itty bitty, the little things, you know, the doing RMAs, doing license um, purchasing, all of those sort of things can really derail like a one person uh, MSB from their day, uh, as well as all the phone calls and everything that's going on. So my first hire being an office manager meant all of that stuff was dealt with by uh, somebody. But here's the key to it. We systemized, we documented everything that that lady did within the business. So then it was easy for somebody else to come in that role. If that person's off sick or off on holiday, somebody else can step in and do those things rather than it pile up. And that's a mentality that I kept throughout my business career. I mean, we work in the business now, you, you know, the team tub business, massively systemized, isn't it? Everything's oh, yeah. documented. We've got checklists for everything. And that's not because we don't trust people no. to do the work, but it's, you know, if, if you get on board um, an air airplane, you look in the pilot's cockpit, you can see them going through a checklist. And it's like, well, why are they doing that? They know how to fly the plane. Of course they do, but they're e people are easily distracted. And, uh, you know, so a checklist is a really good way to make sure that you're following the actual process. So again, back to Gareth's question, though, the first hire that I made was a, a, an admin, an office person. Nowadays, you may not even need to hire that person full time. Mm -hmm. We've got wonderful virtual assistants that you can hire. You could work with somebody, you know, three of our team are based over in South Africa uh, and they do incredible work. Um, you know, so virtual assistants might be the way forward if you just need, if you perhaps have got enough work to keep somebody busy some of the time, but can't afford or don't need somebody full time. A virtual assistant is a great way to do that. So I hope that answers that question. Excellent. Well, he has a Follow up, and I think this is trying to burrow deep into your psychology here. So, okay. uh, what's your favourite choice of starter? Um, <laughs> soup, gravlax, garlic mushrooms, or prawn cocktail? He's put down. So. He wants me to say gravlax there, doesn't he? What a, what a geeky <laughs> question! I love it though. But uh, yes, well, we were out for dinner last night, weren't we? At a we brilliant uh, Turkish restaurant. And uh, when it comes to our choice of starters, it was. Virtually everything on the menu, wasn't it? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Gareth. Brilliant. So I've got a question here from Paul Havens. Uh, he asks, during your MSP days, did you ever acquire another MSP or get close to acquiring a another MSP or were you almost acquired by somebody else? 
Oh, great question. And mergers and acquisitions is something that I hear a lot of people in the MSP industry talking about. Yeah. Uh, so before I answer that, I would just say that going 2023, you know, we're recording this January 2023, the M&A market is really uh, interesting for the managed service market. So I'm on a, almost a daily basis, you know, having phone calls from larger MSPs or investors saying, we're, look, we're in the market, we're looking for an MSP of this side in, size in this part of the country. So interesting times. Uh, Paul, but in answer to your question, did I ever acquire or, or be acquired? Obviously, I sold the business. That doesn't really count as a, a you know, it's, it's an acquisition of, of sorts. But we went through a merger with another MSP. And during my career being an advisor and things, I've worked with a lot of MSPs who have acquired or merged with other MSPs. And I think the second part of his question was, how did it, how did it go? Yeah. Uh, in answer to that, if I'm totally honest, Mergers, acquisitions, I think are one of the toughest things that you can ever do. The, the logic behind them, of course, is that you're going to acquire good staff, that you're going to acquire a client base, and you can grow the business really rapidly. In reality, uh, you know what I see happen is bringing two sets of people together is really difficult if the cultures are different. And nearly every merger that I've seen, um, it ends up being uh, a lot of the staff leave from sorry, a lot of the staff from one of the two merged companies leave within sort of 18 months because it's just not working for them. And then you're left with handful one, two, three people from the, the business that you've merged into. So, and the other thing is, you know, the clients, uh, it, it, you bring them across. If they don't have that personal service from another business, sometimes the clients don't work out as well. So I'm not really a fan of mergers per se. It seems on paper a good way to do things, but not so much. And that actually work acquisitions is very, very similar, where a smaller business is being bought by a larger business. Again, it should work, but unless you do that work on the, the culture piece to make sure that everybody merges together properly, mm. works on you know singing from the same hymn sheet, it's really, really difficult. And Paul, I could give you dozens of UK examples, let alone globally, where mergers and acquisitions really haven't worked uh, very, very well at all. But uh, I hope that answers the question. Absolutely. Well, um, we've got another one here. Um, uh, they didn't leave their name, but for, for an MSP just starting out, uh, which communities do you recommend them um, inquiring about? Uh, this kind of goes back to um, what one of the one of the earlier questions about MSP communities. So, yeah. um, okay. which ones do you recommend? Um, so it's going to come as no surprise whatsoever. I used to be the chairman of the CompTIA community. I think it's, as I joked earlier, once I stepped down as chairman yeah. 10 years ago, it really became a wonderful community and it exploded. The CompTIA community is global. Uh, here in the UK, we've got uh, quarterly meetups. Uh, people get together at CompTIA. It's um, you know vendor neutral. Vendors are welcome as well to go along there. That is a fantastic community. There's also CompTIA in-person communities in the Benelux and a big presence in the United States as well. And I know the people at CompTIA are also looking at places like Australia, South Africa and things. So CompTIA... It's an absolute no-brainer if you're working the MSP industry. Sign up for membership. It's what, like 150, 200 pounds a year or whatever. You gain access to all the meetings and all the content. Brilliant. Now, talking of content, the other community that I absolutely recommend would be the Tech Tribe, the, the most awesome online community uh, run by Nigel Moore and uh, his team there. Uh, Nigel's a former MSP, knows this industry inside and out and produces incredible content. So unlike other communities such as 
you know, Reddit and Facebook and things like that, you know, no great knock on them because yeah. you can get information, but it tends to be a bit like the Wild West, doesn't it, online? If you go online and ask uh, a question, you'll get 100 responses telling you how stupid you are <laughs> and maybe one piece of gold, as opposed to the tech tribe, which is a nurturing, welcoming community, and you'll get really warm, good feedback. So CompTIA, the tech tribe, tech tribe has also got local community meetups. You know, I'm very proud of that, that initiative we put together in the UK. There's now like a yeah. dozen or more groups, and those appearing in... Uh, again, uh, Europe and other places. Um, and the third type of community that I'd recommend to people is um, vendor communities. Mm. And, you know, uh, vendors aren't the bad guys here. This isn't a confrontational relationship. The vendors know that if they help you grow your MSP business, their business is going to grow as a result. So I'd encourage you to build up relationships with your vendors, go to conferences, uh, that even vendor-related conferences and things, and you'll meet really good people. So think about it. The you know the vendor that you're working with probably works with some of the best MSPs in the world. You can gain access to those MSPs uh, and, and exchange ideas, best practices, that type of thing. So, there's, but there's dozens and dozens of great communities. The network group here in the UK, brilliant one. I'm hearing great things about uh, Brigantia, uh, Synaxon, um, and then the other. Th- thing I'll throw out there, if you're in a part of the world and you think, well, there's no groups near to me, go and have a look at an app called Meetup, uh, Mm. the Meetup app there, and just so you would probably be shocked uh, to find that there's things like uh, Microsoft 365, Linux, open source. Um, there's uh, Here in the Northeast, there's an Azure uh, web services, uh, Amazon web services and Azure uh, user group. And these are all on the Meetup app as well. So not necessarily just for MSPs, but a, a great way to meet other people. Brilliant. Now, we have a question from our friend Pascal, uh, Pascal Fintoni. Um, now, he, he knows that you moved to Newcastle from Birmingham a few years ago, but how long did it take you to adjust to the way people speak here and the way people act, I think, is, is how he tried to put it. Uh, how how well have, have you adapted to the accent of people from the, from the tune? Oh, wow. Well, uh, it... it... Yes, it's a, it was a challenge, but I think, in fairness, they probably struggled with my Brummy accents uh, just as much. Well, I was going to say that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Pascal, of course, our great friend, uh, um, mentor, and just learnt so much about content uh, off uh, production off Pascal. Uh, so Pascal's French and moved to England, then to the northeast, and now he's back in France and that. Uh, but yeah, so how a Frenchman coped with the the northern accent, I just don't know. And behind the camera here, we've got Mark Orr who is our wonderful uh, video editor. And um, Mark, uh, what's the what's it called, Mark? Is it Pityak? Yeah, the, the Pityak, Pityak yeah. which is what the, the miners and, and stuff, that sort of language that they use. That's impenetrable. So let alone Geordie. And of course, <laughs> we're not too far from Scotland. You've got the Scottish accent and stuff as well. So I do struggle at times. I should give some context as well. So why people ask why... Are you in Newcastle? And it's because so I'm Birmingham, born and bred the same as you, Stephen. So yep. Birmingham, slap bang in the centre of England. Uh, lived all my life there, but then when I got married to my wife Claire, Claire had been living. Claire's also from Birmingham, just to confuse people. But she'd been living in Newcastle for the last twenty odd years, and so I moved up to the Toon, as they call it, <laughs> uh, to be with uh, to Claire and to live up here. And I've got to say. Uh, absolutely love Newcastle upon time. I rather romantically said to Claire the other day, I said, you know what? 
if we got divorced, I would still think I'd live in Newcastle. <laughs> she said, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> but I love Newcastle, love the people, and, yeah, the accent takes a bit of getting used to. <laughs> Excellent. Right, um, so that's that's all the questions from the from our from our audience. So mm-hmm. I've now got a few quick fire ones just to kind of finish up up, up on. So oh, if right, you can okay. just give us answers to, to these, you don't have to make these long ones. Sure. But uh, I'll That'll start for me. With, I'll start with this exactly. <laughs> I'll start with this one then. So what has been your biggest mistake in business? Great question. Very short answer. Uh, overly trusting of people. Um, so I've now learned the hard way that uh, so it, it, it's good to be trusting of people. Uh, but the phrase goes trust but verify. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, you know, I've, I've I've trusted people a little bit too much uh, to do things, and then that's that's cost me um, in terms of relationships with clients and things of that nature. So trust but verify. Brilliant. Um, next question: What's your favourite television show at the moment? <laughs> Uh, so top of the list would have to be, of course, I'm a massive geek. So Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Love Doctor Who. That's up there. But it, uh, my favourite television show at the moment, uh, Doctor Who's been around 60-odd years. Um, I love the show Billions um, on Sky Atlantic. Absolutely love that show. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's avid watching for me. But it might surprise people as well to hear that the other show that I watch without fail is the British soap, EastEnders. <laughs> I've watched that three times a week. And people, why are you watching EastEnders? I absolutely love that show. And um, we've not even touched on all the pro wrestling that I watch on television and stuff. But, uh, maybe that's one for another podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and outside of outside of business or outside of your business, what do you like to do for, 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 for fun? And you've just mentioned wrestling so um we might as well start with with that so (laughs) well to clarify i don't wrestle (laughs) (laughs) but i yeah i love my wife and i are really heavily into pro wrestling um uh, going to shows so people the uninitiated might think like wwe hulk hogan that sort of thing but there's a whole world of wrestling my favorite promotion is one called AEW, or elite wrestling fairly new promotion it's brilliant uh, but we watch japanese wrestling mexican wrestling there's a huge independent scene of wrestling local shows and stuff here in the UK and uh, Claire and I have been fortunate enough to like make friends with a lot of the guys who have gone on to headline like Wrestlemanias and things like that now (laughs) I know it's a short answer but for anybody going you seem like a smart guy you realise wrestling is fake and that it, yeah, so is your latest Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Or, it's theatre, though, isn't it? You know, theater. yeah, yeah. So we, yes, we know that it's predetermined, but just in the same way as watching a theatre show or a movie or whatever, as long as you suspend your disbelief and get into it. But that's all I'll say about wrestling for now. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. You definitely need to go and and, and watch one live. It's yeah. amazing. Um, right, and a final one from me. Now, this was all. Of, this was this. The purpose of this episode was to be about your origins and of course when we think of origins we think of superhero origin stories so this question i'm going to ask you um so if there was a character from a comic book that you most resonate with who would who would that be oh i love that one so again we were just talking about what i'm into outside of work and that i'm a massive comic book geek uh, I've got tens of thousands of comics, you know, and I'm, I'm talking, and mostly I do digital comics now because there's just not enough space at home to, to store all the old comics and stuff. But which comic character do I most resonate with? Um, 
I'm going to, uh, so I definitely know the answer to that one, but it, it might be a character that people are not familiar with. So it's a Marvel character called Quasar. Mm. Who, uh, and Quasar behind the uh, the mask is, is a guy called Wend Wendell Vaughn. And Wendell is a mild-mannered guy lacking a killer instinct who um, doubts himself constantly and uh, struggles sometimes with mental health. And as a kid, I read that, and that was, I was like, and to this day, that's, you know, we've talked about mental health, we've talked about the, you know, the inner critic and all of those things. Those are still things that I wrestle with. So, um, yeah, uh, Wendell Vaughn, Quasar, and anybody who doesn't know Quasar, he's uh, a little bit like Marvel's version of Green Lantern. Uh, in the DC universe. But again, I'm getting far too geeky, so I hope that answers that. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, I mean, we've mentioned a lot of things in in this episode of Tub Talk. We're going to try and put as many of them, many of these things in the show notes for you so you can go and check them out. Um, but it just now leaves me to say, Richard Tub, thank you very much for being the guest on the 125th episode of Tub, Tub, Tub Talk. I hope you've enjoyed being on that side of the uh i have interview. it's been fantastic and personal thank you to you you joined our team 12 months ago i think it is 12 months uh, ago now, yeah. and you've had a, a massive impact not just on my business but the managed service industry i know you're a very well-known name now you go to the local events and things people have got to know you very very well and uh, you do brilliant work for us mark is behind the camera thank you mark for 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 editing the Tubservatory videos every week. And we've got Gudrun, who is uh, going to be listening to this and doing the show notes. Thank you, Gudrun, for putting up with my long-winded answers yeah. and uh, documenting them so well. And the rest of the team, we've got Lara, Roxanne, Maxine, Karina, my uh, PA. We've got Pascal, does incredible work. Uh, James, James, who edits the uh, podcasts as well. We've got Michelle, our ops manager, the most wonderful team so but thank you for doing this Stephen so uh, really really enjoyed it so that's all from us at Tub Talk the podcast for IT consultants Richard will be back for the next one we'll see you then Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.